0: Welcome back to Footwork, a podcast for those who dream big, never settle, and make their own path. I'm Sean.
1: And I'm Dylan. Together with guests, we share stories and tips every Monday to educate, inspire, and create a community built of soccer players and dream chasers. Footwork is brought to you by...
2: The Talent Project is America's bridge to Europe for the elite few, providing opportunities for young American players that they can't get in the United States. We're looking for a few good men. Visit us at www.talentproject.com and see if you qualify. Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. Welcome
0: to Malia Berkeley currently plays for the North Carolina Courage in the NWSL. We talk about returning after ACL surgery, minor setbacks from major comebacks, celebrating the little victories, overcoming rough beginnings in college and in France, proving people wrong and are self-right, incremental gains, continual growth, and the way back to the U.S. Women's National Team. Enjoy. So, Malia Berkeley, welcome to Footwork.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Now, we like to start out
1: with this motto here at Footwork, make your own path. Pretty much means what it says, but, you know, following your dreams, not held to the normal roots if they do not fulfill you, you know, blazing your own path. So what does that mean to you? And how do you feel like you've done that so far?
2: Uh, To me, I'd say it means whatever hand you've been dealt, whatever cards you've been dealt, whatever path you are on, even if it's not how you want it to be, you're making the best of it that you can, getting to the goals you want, making the results you want in whichever way possible. Uh, I think for me, um, I've kind of been everywhere all over the place, um, traveling, playing soccer since I was really young and, you know, I've been on a bunch of different teams when I was younger. I could never make the top team. They always told me like I was too little, um, too small. I'll never make it anywhere. I've had college coaches tell me I, I will never play in college. Um, I've had coaches tell me I will never make it past college. I'll never be a pro player. I'll never play in the pros um, and just kind of trudging along and making it through and getting the results that I want and getting to the level that I'm at right now.
0: Love that. Now, who are you? Where were you? And where are you going?
2: I'm Molia Berkeley. I have been playing at Florida State for four to five years, tore my ACL one year, so I always forget how long I've been there. Um, then I went to France and played for a year, and now I'm back in the U.S., and I'm playing in the NWSL, and hopefully I'm going to play with the Uni national team someday. Um, Got to keep working for that to happen, but yeah, it's a little bit about me.
1: Of that big goals. I mean, there's a lot that was said in those and, and in the make your own path question. Of course, we're going to get into the injuries and the France and coming back to the US. But there was a few things you said in there just about coaches and and those telling you that you'll never make it. And I think that's such a, a difficult thing, especially at a young age, you know, when you're developing your kind of your own self confidence in yourself, to hear all of these knows from people who supposedly should know more than you. So I'm just kind of curious if you can kind of take us back into where your mind was at hearing all of these things but still being, you know, self-confident and you know stubborn in a good way that it didn't really matter that four or five six coaches were going to say no or that you couldn't do this or that you were too small which is a crazy American thing when we were young had the same thing as well but like how how did you kind of deal with all of those I guess, negative input from, from people who you're supposed to be kind of looking up to?
2: Yeah. So I think one of the parts that you said is like being stubborn. I don't necessarily think I've ever been a good stubborn, but I'm definitely stubborn. And when people (laughs) tell me like, I can't do something, I want to prove them wrong. And I, I was really little when, when I was younger, I was the littlest on every team that I played, but all the parents and all the other coaches used to joke with me, like if soccer didn't work out, there was always hockey because I was always the one that was the most aggressive. I made sure that I made up for my lack of height in other ways. I was the most technical. I, I put in the most hours of work just to try to be able to prove them wrong. Um, and then it was always the same coaches and then another coach would come along and be like well then why wouldn't you come play with us like you we can develop you here we don't believe in the whole you're too little thing and I was like yeah absolutely and I I went over there and I played a couple years and I grew to be five nine so the little issue was never a problem for me again um and yeah I think my mindset through all of it even when I got past it was I can do it. I proved to myself and I proved to those coaches, I'm continuing to grow in the process. I'm continuing to develop as a player, as a person. Um, One of the hardest ones was um, being told that I wouldn't play in college. And it was actually one of my very first college visits. And he was like, yeah, I just don't think you're a good enough player. And I was like, heartbroken, heartbroken because I really wanted to play in college, and my next visit after that to a different school, I almost didn't go, because I was like, well, crap, if these great coaches think I'm not going to be able to play in college, what's the point of even wasting their time, wasting my time, wasting the money to travel to go visit the colleges? Um, but Mark actually convinced me to um, come visit Florida State, and so I went down I absolutely loved the school and offered me money on the first visit. And I was like shocked because I was like, why did I let one coach get me down when I should know my own worth and how I play and how I train and how I feel about myself. And my dad was always telling me like, if somebody is getting you down that's not the right place you just got to keep looking and you'll find somebody that values your qualities and so that's kind of how I've taken it also into the pros going into France my first half season of France I found out from a player that the coach brought me in as a practice player he didn't even plan on playing me and Coming in thinking, Oh, this is my first pro contract. I can't wait to play. I'm so excited. Gonna learn so much. And then having a player tell me like three months in, oh yeah, you're not going to play. He doesn't even plan on playing you was another heartbreaking thing. And I was like just trying to put my head to the grind and just keep pushing through. And he ended up leaving and the start of the next season we got a new coach and then I started Every game. And so I had to remind myself again just because one coach didn't like me, didn't like my qualities, doesn't mean that there isn't a coach out there that does. So, yeah, I think just little reminders of you just got to get through this one little part, hard part to get to the good stuff kind of helped me stay on track.
0: A lot to unpack there. Now, I want to talk about in the beginning how you especially when you were younger, you always proving people wrong. Do you feel that your mindset has changed to not proving people wrong anymore, but proving yourself right? Because you know, the heights that you can reach, rather than the heights that they say you can't reach, you see even farther than what they believe you can even get to.
2: Yes, absolutely. I think at the beginning, it was just if somebody said something negative to me, I was immediately like, I'm proving you wrong this that the other but now it's kind of like if somebody says you're not good enough this or this isn't what we want here then I'm just like okay fair enough if that's not what you want I know there's plenty of opportunities out there and I know my qualities I've been playing 20 years since I was three so I don't really count a lot of the younger stuff but I like to say I've been playing 20 years um Exactly, it counts. Um, so yeah, I think now it's just kind of like, uh, okay, that's another person that's not all for you. Okay, move on. There's plenty of people out there. I know what I need to do, I know what I've been doing, I know where I've been, and I know where I'm going.
1: Did you start out as a defender or did you kind of move back when the hype came?
2: I actually have always been a midfielder and the first time i tried defender was at the u15 national camp they actually brought me in as a center forward and the u.s loves to try their forwards at outside back for that speed going forward Mm -hmm. and i absolutely hated it i hated outside back i felt like the line is right here i can only go inside And I loved being in the middle. You never know what direction I'm going to go. And so that was interesting. But for some reason, they liked me there. And I played there for, I want to say, maybe four years for Mm -hmm. the youth national teams. And when I got into college, I was recruited as a midfielder. So then when I got into college, I went back into the center mid role. And about halfway through my first season, our outside back got injured and he knew that I had time playing there. And he, he was like, can you fit this role? And I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. I'll do whatever the team needs. Um, And he loved me there. And so I played there for the next two years. And then after that, our center back, graduated and so he was like why don't you just try it you're just being in the middle of the field just give it a try and I loved it so much more than outside back and he Mm -hmm. gave me so much freedom to go forward so I loved it there and then I played there the rest of my time at Florida State and then when I went to France they recruited me as a center back but then they switched their formation so much that we would go from a four back to a three back with the wing backs being free to go forward. And I was then put out a wing back there. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm still getting to go forward. I'm fine with it. I don't want to just sit back here. Um, And then when I came to the U.S., I actually was recruited as a center back there, too. And But we already had two amazing center backs, and we were struggling with our midfielders. And so he was like, I know you've played midfield a bunch in your life. I know it's been a while, but why don't you just give it a shot? And then I was a starting midfielder for a while there, too. So I kind of just back and forth, whatever the coaches happen to need.
1: Absolutely. It's kind of cool, though. I feel like when you were young and maybe, you know, working on the game to kind of prove people wrong and to not use the height as a restriction from your abilities, Maybe that kind of helped you develop all of those even a little better and then bring them into your position. I think that's a really cool thing. Kind of like when maybe like when when goalies kind of start off as field players and then bring that back and they're able to play out from the back a little bit more. I find that like a very cool thing that you can bring into. But um, let's come back or let's start with now. So this was your first year with the courage, correct? Yes, sir. So one in the books, I think you played 16 games. I saw team finished one point out of the playoff zone, which I'm sure hurts, but maybe a lot to reflect on. So how do you reflect on that first year playing professionally in the U S in the first year with the courage?
2: I think, you know, coming from growing up, the only soccer you could really watch was like the premier league and the bigger men's leagues. And so I tried to base my style off of the men's premier league. I, I wanted to be technical. I wanted to be tactical. I wanted to be soccer smart. I wanted to see the whole field, see all the different, um, all the different balls that I could play. If I could skip a player and play the second player running through who has the better shot on goal, I wanted to kind of do all of that. And the U S style is very known to be, athletic strong you know you kind of you kick it and you run and so for me playing in France first and then coming back it was definitely an adjustment also with overseas they're getting there for the fitness piece but I think the U.S. has just always been drilling in fitness into their style of play so for me I'd didn't really have a lot of fitness stuff over in France. And then I came here and it was all fitness at first. And then, you know, you, you layer on the soccer pieces. And so it was definitely difficult at first, but I think playing here in college, it was kind of like, okay, it's college it's just faster pace. Mm -hmm. And so I had to adjust for that as well um and then of course you have the international players coming here to play and the courage has a lot of them so I loved that piece I always loved playing with international players being able to try to take from their style of plays and try to add it into my own at Florida State we were also known for having a lot of international players so that was something that was very comfortable for me coming in and knowing like, it's going to be a mix of a bunch of different styles. We have Brazilians, we have Irish, we have New Zealanders, we have, um, a Mexican player. We have, um, a Japanese player. Uh, we have people from everywhere. So it was, it was really cool to see it all kind of blend together. Um, and I think my main goal for this season was it's, it was my first season. So I wanted to see, you know, how it would be. We had a new coach and it was his first time um, coaching in the league as a head coach. So I knew it was all just going to be a kind of learning process. So I didn't have any like exact expectations, I would say. I was just kind of open to the whole thing to see how the season went.
0: And how do you spend your off season and what things do you looking into um, to better improve, to add for for your upcoming season?
2: Uh, so I train a lot up in Michigan with a coach. He actually trains a lot of um, pro players, people oversee men and women. Um, he trains some players that are in the MLS also. And he has like a, a professional group training. So you get to train a lot with Um, men and women so I think the men really add the speed of play which is super helpful and he's a very technical coach so I get to stick with my technical style and it's a lot of like working on 1v1s it's a lot of um, like playing against each other we obviously work on the passing drills the dribbling drills the tactics and all of that. But I think the best part is that we still get to come together and play a lot of small sided stuff. So we're keeping everything that we worked on in the season and just adding on top of it. Um, and for me, the off season when I'm not with him is just lifting and running and trying to get as fit as possible and just spending the time with family because I don't often get to see them. So.
1: Yeah, two things on that. I mean, first, I guess let's start with just how you ended i mean i think it's so important to take the breaks that we have from the game you know not seriously but to to take them and to really enjoy them and to spend them with people and letting yourself mentally check out during this time so that when it is the season when it is time you you can check back in you could be more in that focus zone so how do you kind of separate yourself from the game in the off season but also during the season like what's your process what's your hobbies how do you kind of Take that time to yourself.
2: Oh, I'm a gamer. So, nice. <laughs> yeah, I play a lot of Call of Duty, Fortnite. Um, I like a lot of the older games, too. The Crash Bandicoot, the Crash Bandicoot Racing. Um, I the nostalgia's is
1: coming play. on right now.
2: Uh, yeah. I <laughs> I just, I think that's my main get- getaway. Um, and I also love movies. So I can just kick back relax I can do a marathon and (laughs) not move for like eight hours which probably isn't the best thing but it's how I unwind and I'm also like really big on family my family is the most important thing to me so if I'm not even if I am doing that stuff I'll be on the phone with them facetiming them calling them my family was actually able to come out to every home game but two this past season so that was really nice to have Um, and I actually play the video games with my family all the time too so we're really close that's just kind of how I get away out of it
1: love that love the family the family game time too that can't be anything much better than that but the other thing I wanted to touch on was just this training so I mean going abroad having your time in college training now how do you feel like that has changed your your mindset on training? Like, say, if you were to give advice, maybe to a younger you who was training, or to uh, players, you know, kind of growing up in middle school and high school, what things do you feel like maybe you should have focused on more growing up, and some things that you've kind of learned over the years as to this is where my focus should be, and this is kind of how my training has evolved.
2: Yeah, I think when I was younger, my my dad has been my coach pretty much my whole life. And we're from Croatian heritage. So we're very, everything technical, like all the moves, um, all the fakes, all of that uh, was the main focus growing up. And when you're young, you never really have to focus on the fitness piece. You're just a ball full of energy and you can go the whole time and maybe you're tired for five seconds you take a drink and then you're ready to go again um and growing up I never really worked on the fitness piece and then like going into college and the entire spring season is mostly just doing fitness for me that was An interesting change. And then going to France and it's back to soccer, and then coming back to the US and it's a combination of soccer and fitness. I think finding over the years that I'm going to have that soccer piece, that base piece that I've grown up with, and to just focus on if I'm fit, if I'm in shape, that's going to help prevent injuries. That's going to help me be able to go in the game longer. That's going to help me be able to learn more of the soccer pieces that I want to add in if I'm focused on that and not focused on oh my god I need to catch my breath or oh my god I need to get in shape. So for me it's just the fitness piece for everyone is also the only thing you can control. You it's hard for some people to learn the technical pieces of soccer. That's not their style. They're big and they're strong and they're the speed player that gets behind lines or They're the big defender that wins the ball in the air. Everybody has their pieces that they're good at. And sometimes for shorter players, it's hard to be that dominant player in the air. Or if you're the skinny technical player, it's hard for you to be able to shield bigger players off the ball. And for everyone, that fitness piece is the only thing you can really control and make sure that it's at its peak. So I think that's something that I've learned over the years. That's been really important to me is if that's the one thing that I can control, I'm going to make sure that I'm good at it.
0: And how do you train that in the off season and during the season and the difference between the both of them?
2: In season, uh, we have a strength and conditioning coach who obviously makes sure if we're not hitting the numbers we need to in training, we're doing extra. Or if you're not playing the minutes in the games, you're doing extra training afterwards or extra running afterwards. Um, but out of season, having been at so many, uh, different places that do different fitnesses, I just kind of pull what I feel has helped me gain the most fitness. And I really just try to focus on those. When I was younger, I was in cross country and my dad used to make me run five K's before tournaments when you would have like three games in a day. And I used to hate him for it. I was like, I don't want to go and absolutely die in running and then have to go to a game. And I actually would always play my best after that. And so it was so annoying that I couldn't say, Oh, look, I did so bad. I shouldn't be doing this. So he had like really great value to that. So I was trying to get back to, I would just get back to my cross country route. So when I'm home, I just try to go out and run as long as I can. And then every day try to add a little more, distance to it and then once i get to like five miles just try to lower that time every time and try to make it faster to where i can go distance and speed
1: imagine you had to run that now before a game <laughs> I just had to say that
2: i yeah i think i would actually die
1: yeah no that's uh, the things that we could do during kit like as kids especially in these tournaments to play Three, four times a day and then still have the energy to go run around at night or, you know, play in the hotels. Play. We used to play manhunt in all the hotels
2: like, oh, yeah. for hours
1: after like after <laughs> six games in a day. It was crazy.
2: Oh, yeah. We were always in the big hotels that would have like all the ballrooms on the bottom floor that nobody used.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I know all about that.
1: Love that. So, I mean, you've already kind of stated uh, in the beginning you have big goals for the future. You've stated that one of them is to, to get to the senior women's national team. So how do you approach this, this goal, this mission statement, both menti- mentally and physically?
2: Yeah, mentally, I would say I've been in the youth camps. I've made one full team ID camp, so I know that I'm able to get there. I know I'm on the radar, I think. Just putting my head to the grind and showing that I can be consistent in just continuing to grow and take pieces of information of what I need to work on, what, what is good for me, what I need to continue to grow with, um, and not getting discouraged that you know I haven't been called in in a long time. Um, New players are getting called in every day. I'm not one of them. I I can't look at it like that. For me, it's all right. Other players are getting opportunities. Keep working. Your opportunity is going to come. Um. And physically, it's just sticking to it. Kind of the making your own path. Like it, it's not going to be handed to you. Nothing's ever handed to you. So knowing that the work will pay off as long as I still work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And how? And is I mean, this... it comes. Go ahead, John ahead. I was just going to say, like, I mean, this this idea of being able to control really only what you can control and then just letting the rest kind of come to you. Is that kind of how you approach it? Because I'm sure sometimes, you know, when you don't get that call, it can be harder than others because you could be like, you know, I'm putting on all this work. But I, at the end of the day, that call is out of your control. It's just you putting yourself out there to have the best seasons, to be the fittest you can to play the best in games to the best of your ability
2: yes when i was younger i like even if i gave it my all and i didn't get the result i wanted it would destroy me and i would just be i i would almost want to quit and be like there's this isn't worth it um but i think i'm now mature enough to be like if i actually did give my all and only i can know if i gave my all if i trained as hard as possible and I was as prepared as possible and I'm still not getting the result then that's life there's not much I can do about that I just gotta hope another opportunity comes or keep working for the next opportunity because it's never a almost never a one and done kind of thing and just knowing that eventually if that isn't the path that I have imagined for myself, a lot of times there's another path that leads to the same, same result. So it's just kind of trying to stay open-minded about it and know that there are different ways, different methods to get what I want.
0: And how did you feel in the youth women's national team camps?
2: Yeah, those, uh, (laughs) I loved them and hated them at the same time. I I love them for the girls getting to meet a bunch of new people from all over the country. I made great friends, um, got to see the different styles, even in the U.S., um, all the different styles. um, Loved coming together, getting to travel places. We got to go to England and Spain and, you know, a bunch of cool places to play and playing against other national teams. It was like A little taste of what I wanted to do on the big level and uh, I I would say I really only hated it because I when I was younger I really really only wanted to play center mid because I thought that that's my forte that's where I'm going to be able to show my best and I kept asking and asking like can I get at least some time at midfield and they would always say yeah yeah next camp next camp and it didn't happen and But I was still getting called in camps. So I was happy. I was learning a different position. And I think looking back on it now, that helps me tactically knowing where my players should be in different positions and being able to help coach on the field, like what run they should be making, what space they need to be finding, being able to let them know if they can turn to receive the ball or if they just need to bounce it back. Um, and then seeing that for when I'm playing those positions, I know what I've been saying to those players in those positions. So I need to look for these things when I'm in that position. And I think all the different coaches that I've gone through with the youth programs have helped me develop a bunch of different parts of my game, getting to be coached by a a bunch of different personalities. And every coach likes something different. So I think that that helped me develop as well.
1: I'm curious to know if you ever kind of, I mean, with so much soccer played in in the youth, I'm sure with the travel teams, with the youth national teams and everything, I think there can be this tendency or this tipping point or this burnout point where it can be too much at times. Did you ever feel like that growing up? Like, you know, you kind of wanted to spend more times doing, you know, the quote unquote normal things that other friends were doing or other people were doing in high school Did you ever kind of reach those points or was it always this was the dream and this is going to happen?
2: Oh, I would say in high school right before college. So my dad has coached me from when I was little and he ended up being my high school coach as well because after my freshman year, I had a a different coach going into my freshman year of high school. And he ended up quitting after that year. So the last three years, my dad picked up that position. And of course, it being your dad, he has the highest expectations for you, wants to push you as hard as possible because he does know my goals. And when I'm that immature teenage stage where I don't want to listen to my dad, I want to hang out with my friends. I know I'm putting in the work, but for him, in my mind, nothing I do was good enough I definitely got to the point where I was like, is this worth it? Um, And then I just kept trying to remind myself, like, I'll be in college soon. If I don't like it in college, then, okay, I can quit. But at least give it a chance. You're almost done here. You're almost out. And so I think that was probably the biggest struggle for that is that when I was closest to quitting and then as soon as I got into college, I absolutely loved it. I found so many more people that were like me that their goals were the same. Even even if they weren't in the same sport, all the athletes wanted to go pro in whatever sport that they were doing. Everybody, you know, ate healthy the same as me. Everybody trained hard the same as me, was missing out on the same things as me. So it, it was kind of eye-opening to be like, okay, I'm not the only one that has felt that way we're all in the same boat together and we're all grinding it out.
1: I love that resolution, that kind of the change in environment and also the change in the people around you kind of brought back, not not necessarily brought back, but heightened that love again for the game and kind of just showed it to you in a new way, in a new exciting way. But speaking on college, and I don't want to bring it back to the to the darkest times, but there was one event in college that I think is such a major event in any athlete's life and to have an injury like an ACL tear um, to redshirt and then to come back and to have all of those accolades and the championships and the national championships the ACC championships kind of shows you know that minor setback major comeback mentality like right there there it is on paper so I'm just wondering if you can kind of take us into your mindset during the injury kind of when you found out and those tough times. And then also the reflection afterwards and now, and just that process of making sure that it was just a minor setback. And so that it wouldn't define you and that your career would prolong and get even better after this.
2: Yeah. So when I found out that I tore my ACL we were actually scrimmaging a men's team and it was a week before the season was about to start. Sorry. My dog is
1: no worries. We love, we yeah. love, we love the guest dogs... appearances. Yeah. We love guest appearances.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we were, we were scrimmaging against a men's team and I went into a tackle that I reached into and I knew I shouldn't have reached into, but I watched my shin pop out of place and pop back in. and. Damn. Seeing that, not once did I think, oh, my knee's gone. I was like, oh shit, that was scary. And then I was like, but it's back in place. I, I think I'm fine. I was able to like I was scared, but I was able to walk and I didn't feel any different. And when they did the the hands on ACL test, they were like, it feels stable, but just to be safe, we're we're gonna do an MRI, check it out. Um So the next day I went and they were like, Oh, it's swollen. That's not a good sign. And me, I, I don't swell. So if I swell, I know something serious of an injury. I also don't bruise and I had bruising. And so I was a little nervous and going in, they were like, yeah. So if you look right here, your ACL is just floating in there. It's not attached to anything. And I was just like, I don't know what that means. Like it's, like what, what does that, I need you to spell yeah. it out for me. What does that yeah. mean? He's like, yeah, your ACL's done. You need surgery. And that was just heart shattering. That was my first serious injury as well. I had never been out for, I don't think I actually had an injury that ever put me out of a game until then. And I was just heartbroken. I, didn't know how to handle it at first we only had one other player who was going through um rehab for an acl surgery and i just i didn't know how to handle it because throughout my process i had never seen anybody else have an acl surgery i've only like heard about it and i knew it was this horrible thing that you definitely don't want to happen to you and So the first week afterwards, I was just distraught. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was thinking that my career was done and I still had all this unfinished business. And after talking to all the athletic trainers and everything, they kind of like put me back in check and said, look, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. But as long as you put in the work, you can get back. And I from that moment on was like then i'm going to spend every waking second i can to getting back and after my surgery i was doing rehab 3 times a day wow. in between every class and in, in between meals while my team was training i was making sure i was getting every possible work done for me that i could do i wanted like even if All I could do was the machine that bends your knee, I would spend hours in it trying to get the most flexibility out of my knee. If I had to sit in the chair and let my leg go straight for as long as possible, I was trying to force my leg straight. I wanted wanted it to be better than it was before. I didn't want it to hold me back in any way. And throughout the whole process, every little win, I celebrated like it was the biggest win of my life. Just because I had to, or I would go crazy thinking, oh, this week I get to try to balance on one leg. If you look at that, people would be like, okay, cool. You can balance on one leg. But for me, I was like, I get to stand on one leg. Look at me. Look at this balance. I'm going (laughs) to hold it for like five minutes straight. And just kind of taking it day by day and every little thing I got to add, I tried to make it the, the biggest thing possible. And I think that really helped me be able to get through it. And I actually came back in six months and was able to be playing in six months again, which is most people are like, that's so soon. You're probably going to re-tear it again. But I was so confident in myself and I knew I had been putting in all this work and I had the strength back and I was fine. And I haven't had any issues with it since.
0: Amazing. Two Um, things there. Now, number one, did you have was there a time when you first got back that you were a little unconfident with the, with the knee and two, do you feel that this injury kind of made you hungrier to play and more excited to play again? And have you kept that sense? It's always hard when the injury is a long time ago, but I know for myself, when you get back, it's like the greatest thing just to be able to play again.
2: Yeah. I would say when <laughs> I was, definitely hungrier coming back especially that season I've I've never been on a team watching from the sideline in every game I was like oh my god I want to be out there so bad and we did not have a very good season that year so watching it made it even harder it was like I I just want to do everything I can to help I want to be out there I tried to put it into like helping my team at halftime, telling them what I see, what I think that we can work on. Um, but it's also hard because it's like girls at that age don't necessarily listen to the players that aren't playing. So then it was also frustrating with that. So it was like, I feel like I can't contribute at all. I'm, I'm trying the best I can. I'm trying to stay positive. So it was definitely hard with that. Luca, no. Sorry, he's chewing up the carpet.
0: <laughs> Feel free to take a moment and <laughs> make sure he doesn't chew up the carpet.
2: <laughs> no, he's, he's good. Normally, if I tell him no, he'll just stop. So, nice. yeah, I'm sorry. What was the first question?
0: Uh, no, uh, having confidence after the injury, you know, trusting the, the knee in this case.
2: Right. So Getting I would over that. say <laughs> the first time that... I had to run again. I felt like Bambi. I felt like I could not I I literally thought that I was not going to be able to run again. I was like I completely forget my body completely forgets how to move. And everybody kept telling me it's it's like that at first. You just got to give it some time. You're you haven't been putting weight on all those muscles. Those movements are going to come back and like the first maybe week or two I felt so dumb running I was like I I look like I've never run in my life there's no way that I'm gonna get back to the speed that I was at the the comfort of all of it and cutting and I couldn't even think about cutting I was like I can barely run in a straight line I'm never gonna be able to cut the way I was and get out of that cut quick and be able to do all the fakes that I used to do And like slowly each day, I could feel like even if it was the slightest bit, I could feel the comfort coming back. And so I really tried to focus on that. And I'm like, a little bit each day, a little bit each day, even if it takes five years, I'm going to get there. But it was definitely hard during that time of relearning how to run (laughs) just because it felt the most unnatural out of every. Rehab exercise, I had to do.
1: Yeah, but it's, it comes back to these small victories again. These small victories over time, and taking them for what they are, they come into a big victory, and you win a national championship along with three ACC championships. So, what were those moments like, especially after you know such a tough beginning?
2: Yeah, so the year I came back after my ACL is the year that we won the national championship. And as soon as that whistle blew and we all celebrated, I ran up to my mom and my dad and I gave them a giant hug and I just started bawling my eyes out. And I was like, Whoa, I do not cry. I did not expect it to happen, but I just like had a big sigh of relief. And I was like, I did it. Like I made it back. And I think that, was the moment I realized, like, I I really can do anything I put my mind to. Like, I went from, you know, being a starting freshman, playing all these minutes, having a great time, tore my ACL, didn't see a minute of the field, felt like I wasn't ever going to come back, and then won one of the hardest championships to win. And I was just so happy about it, and I think – That kind of carried into every season of, well, I went through one of the hardest things there is to go through. Fitness, yeah, sure, it sucks. And every day I'm like, why do I do this sport when I'm doing the fitness? But Mm -hmm. that's nothing compared to needing to relearn how to stand, how to walk, how to run. I went through all the hard stuff. This sucks in the moment, but at the end of it, you feel great. So I think with every piece of hard things that i had to go through i would just try to think back to that and be like i i did that i can do anything
0: and after all this success as a team and individually at florida state you uh you make a move to france which um First off, was there any interest in the NWSL? Did you want to play in America? Did you want to go overseas? Uh, Was there an opportunity in in the States?
2: Yes, there was definitely opportunities in the States. But I think having grown up watching the Premier League and watching all the other leagues in Europe, I wanted to go there so bad. I wanted to be Steven Gerrard. I wanted to play for Liverpool. I wanted to be everybody singing my name I wanted to go where everybody loved to watch soccer like it was still growing in the U.S. and it still is growing in the U.S. but it had been my dream since I was young to play overseas and I absolutely would do it again if the opportunity presented itself um so that for me even I I know eventually I was going to come back and play in the U S that's where my family is. That's where my friends are. People can see me come actually come to the games, but I knew for me and for the growth that I wanted and for my personal goals, I, I needed to go overseas.
1: Mm. But I mean, again, it's, it's a really interesting beginning to life in France. So um, we've, we've heard on some other on another podcast, I think with uh, the courage podcast, about everything that kind of held you back especially initially and you've already alluded to the fact that the coach brought you in as a practice player so can you talk about that as well as this whole COVID thing that went on in the beginning of your time in France
2: yeah so when I was first talking to the team and trying to figure out like how to even get there their borders were closed you could not come in unless you were a citizen or if you had a work visa. And the the window was closing for new signings and new players. And so there was a lot of stress with that trying to get me over there in time. Otherwise, I would have had to wait until the summer window opening. Um, and so I worked a lot directly with the club and trying to get, you know, the French government to sign my work visa so I could get over there um, get into training and it was definitely very stressful especially with COVID because everything was so backed up that's not people's top priority getting somebody a work visa so it was a lot of push a lot of pull a lot of waiting a lot of trying to force them to just get this little piece done so that we can move to the next piece because in the process you can't move forward until you have a certain document or certain permissions so it was we would finally get into where we were moving along and then we would hit another stop and it was like we can't move forward until we get this and so it was very stressful at the beginning and I was training here at the time with my now fiance and we were doing boxing because it's really great um, really great cardio And I ended up hurting my wrist during it, but in soccer, you don't need your wrist. So I was like, ah, like I got it checked out. They said it wasn't broken, probably just a bad sprain. So I was like, okay, like it really freaking hurts and I can't move it. But if you say it's just a sprain, I believe you, I don't need it for soccer. I'll be fine. I finally get into France and on the plane ride over, I get COVID. And I'm like, you have to be kidding me. I've gone basically the entire first wave of COVID where everybody got it and I didn't get it. I was so careful, wear a mask everywhere, hand sanitizer, all the whole nine yards. And I was like, of course I get it as soon as I get over here. Mm -hmm. And I had to quarantine for two weeks because that was the protocol at the time. And so I was stuck in this little hotel room that you obviously know in Europe, everything is very tiny. Yep. And so I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I cannot leave this little room. I can't work out. The most I can do is like push ups and sit ups and squats, like some body weight stuff. But it's like, even finding space to do that, like the most space I had was inside the shower. I was like, I was oh like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, Oh, it was it was horrible the first two weeks. And, I, and after quarantine, I was like, thank God. I'm just I'm going to go out. I'm going to train. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'll, I'll get back all the fitness that I just lost from laying in bed for two weeks. And hopefully, you know, I'll get back into training. But when I got out, they put me into training right away, like with the rest of the team. And I was like, "Uh, I I just sat on my ass for two weeks i don't think i'm ready to just go hop into all this sprinting cutting and running but i did it and then i ended up hurting my groin and my achilles and that was also because the ground is so much softer in europe whereas you have all the turf surfaces you have really nice grass in the u.s and coming back you're coming over here I was not expecting I'm running through mud I'm like Mm. my foot is sinking 10 inches down into the ground I was not expecting that I'd never own studs I was gonna have studs in college but then when I tore my ACL they're like you should probably never own studs that's not good for your ankles your knees like just to stay safe never do it so I was like okay I'll, I'll never have them and they kept suggesting to me you should get studs like The ground over here is meant for studs. And I was like, "Ah, I went through an ACL. I'm not risking doing that again. I'll be fine. And so, of course, hurt my Achilles during it, was trying to recover through that. I finally came back. And then the French League changed their protocols. And you had to test every game to see if you were positive for COVID. And even if you already did your quarantine and everything, you had to test negative. You could not still be positive, but have done your quarantine and be fine. And then I kept testing positive for three months. And I was just like, this is the most ridiculous thing. I clearly don't have COVID. I'm able to do all of this stuff. I had it. I did the quarantine. I'm fine. There has to be a way that they can give me a chance to play, and so I was able to travel with the team. But I had to sit in the stands, couldn't play. I was able to do all the trainings, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. If it I'm make, allowed it makes to no train, no yeah, sense. I'm allowed to train. I can travel with the team. The only thing I can't do is play in the games. And I'm like, in every single test, they were like, yeah, you can tell like you're you're getting less and less positive. You're closer to negative, but it was like <laughs> moving at point zero one
1: that's so weird at a time that's I was a like, crazy rule
2: oh i was so mad i was like of course with my luck the one time i get covid i have it for like six years <laughs> yeah i, was so I mean seriously
1: though like three months of covid
2: yeah and but i had zero symptoms the entire oh. time i had covid like even the two-week quarantine i was like i'm not even sure i really have it i yeah. I had zero symptoms they did the heart check on me afterwards and they're like yeah it looks like you never even had COVID. Jesus, I was like this is my luck for sure and then when I was finally negative and able to play and I was doing great in trainings and I wasn't playing I was like what is going on and one of the girls on the team told me yeah he he told us don't even worry about her she's not taking anybody's spots like she's we're just bringing her in as a practice player wow and i livid i was so mad i i almost thought about just like going through the motions at training there's no there's no point like this is just a waste of time for me and then talking to my family they kind of put my head on right and they were like look it's your first time going pro just taken all the information you can get next season you just go out there and show that you should be on the field and he was dumb for not putting you on the field this season and I was like yeah you're right I'll do that and then coming back the coach changed and then he liked how I played it's actually funny because he didn't like me at first because French culture is very different than American culture. And at the time my fiance was visiting and um, we were playing in Fallsburg, which is not where we normally play. We had like a little away tournament and he came and he like, we were sitting in the lobby talking at the hotel and this is the first time meeting the new coach. He comes in the middle of the tournament and he sees me talking to this guy who has nothing to do with the team and he speaks only French, not any English at all, and our team manager speaks English and French, and she pulls me aside, and she's like, um, the new coach wants to talk to you, and I was like, oh, why? And she was like, oh, well, he doesn't like that uh, your boyfriend's here, and um, it's just, it's, uh, he's very upset, and I was like, I was so confused because in our culture, if you're not training, it's it's fine. You can talk to whom you want, you can like they can come to the hotel, you could sit in the lobby, you can you can chat all you want, you can hang out with family. But in their culture, you're a hundred percent locked in. You're not talking to anybody that's not a part of the team. You're you are there for soccer only. So your full focus needs to be that. And so that was our my first impression with the coach was great. He thinks I'm some American that doesn't care about soccer at all. He has no idea how he plays. He probably thinks I'm just some big thug player that just runs around and doesn't know how to kick a soccer ball. And you could tell in the first couple of trainings, he did not like me from that situation. I was like, great. I just screwed myself over. I went through all of this just to piss off the new coach. And after our first scrimmage, I could tell something changed with him. He, like, it just clicked that he actually started liking how I played. He liked the player that I was. And I think he realized, like, oh, it was just one thing where she didn't know. She's new to the culture coming here. And I, I made sure I was super respectful to him, followed every rule to the to a T, And after that, I was playing every game. So I was like, okay, thank God that didn't just mess up this entire season for me.
0: What are some things you did outside of the game to get your mind on football? Other than I know you like to game, but I mean, you're in France, in Europe, you apparently can't play football because of this COVID thing. Did you take advantage of being in a place and like understanding and appreciating where you were?
2: Yes. So the club was able to set up a tutor for me and so i was able to learn a lot of french which one of my life goals is to learn as many languages as possible anyway so i was super excited to learn be able to talk to people um i like went into the city i went to the beaches i i tried to travel as much as i could but the borders were still closed at the time so it was really hard to travel in the early months in the second part of the season everything was starting to open up so I was able to travel a lot more I was able like when my mom visited we went to Spain when my dad visited we were able to um travel more around France um so I definitely tried to take advantage as much as I could or what that COVID would allow at the time but yeah I just kind of I I told myself look I'm here traveling is super cheap when you're over here so I'm saving all this money being able to see all these places do all these things while I'm here rather than being here and being like hey let's go visit Paris and it being like a $2,000 flight over there and then I have to find a place to stay buy all this food so I just tried to keep that mindset of I'm getting an amazing opportunity that a lot of people would dream
1: of. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's embracing that culture and I mean you did a, it's great that you were able to do as much traveling as you could because you also did some with your team and uh, we would love to hear just about this experience in these Champions League nights. I know you played in Wolfsburg, I know you played in Sweden, of course home games with Bordeaux. So what was that experience like? I mean, especially growing up and seeing, you know, Steven Gerrard playing under the same champions league theme song and lights what was that those moments like
2: it was honestly a dream come true i the first game that we played that i heard the theme song i was like this is not real i i i I couldn't wrap my mind around where i started and where i was at right now i I mean obviously the dream is to win <laughs> all of it but I was just thankful to be there and be playing and and when we were playing against Wolfsburg I was like this this is Wolfsburg this is a huge team this is this is the big leagues like this is awesome and playing in their stadium was probably one of my favorite soccer moments just because i mean it was huge it was professional it was it was beautiful and we we did well against them when when they came to play against us we ended up tying and losing in pk's but to know that they're contenders that make it super far and we were just able to hold our own against them was really cool for me
0: how do you feel you grew as a player and a person in that time abroad?
2: Oh, I think that's probably the most growth that I've ever had as a person, especially just having to go through all of that adversity while also being in a place that I don't have my family there to help me. I have to make new friends. I didn't have anybody there that I knew to help me. And just trying to find my way through it, not being able to go out and ask for help because I have to learn a different language to be able to do that. And for me, I took Spanish so many years. So I never, I learned French from scratch. Like I, I didn't know anything. I knew we, that was it. And I was like, this is, it was definitely so hard at first. I was like, I can't even go to the grocery store because it's a different language on like, I can kind of guess what milk looks like, but I'm like looking in all the freezers or in the cold sections. I'm like, "They, they don't even have milk here. And then somebody finally told me, yeah, they don't refrigerate their milk. It's just sitting out. And that, that was the weirdest thing to me at first. And I was like, this is the most difficult thing ever is just trying to find a meal that I could eat and cook. And it was, yeah, I, I think, experiencing a different culture it's it's easy to say you get to experience it a little bit when you have international players coming over but I think it also gave me a new perspective and appreciation for those that do come to the U.S. because of how much of a culture change it is and so it was like I understand why it was so hard now like having to come learn a new language having to experience a different culture and I think it was very eye-opening for me and then as a player, just being immersed in that style of play, because it's a very technical style of play. I And so I feel like I thrived in it. And yeah, I just, I absolutely loved it. Honestly, I, I would love to go back overseas and experience something new so that I could grow in that way as well.
0: Now a two part question here was, was going abroad everything you expected it to be? I know you said that was always your dream as a kid. And then what are some things that uh, maybe never crossed your mind before going over to France that you really enjoyed?
2: I would say it was nothing like what I expected. Because when I'm watching, you know, the English Premier League, they speak English. And so I'm thinking, oh, it's, it's completely different. But They speak the same language, so it's really, I would be completely fine. And then coming to France and realizing English is not really that much of a universal language because a lot of people don't speak it. Where I was, there was a lot of people that did not speak any English at all. So it was like, I had to use my broken French at all costs. But a lot of people were mean about it. If you say something even slightly off, and I was like, I know you know exactly what I am saying, and you're just being mean about it, they would just be like It's the same
1: thing. It's the same thing here. It's the same thing here. Uh, France
0: is even worse, I've heard. They're meticulous about
2: about Oh yeah. yeah. I was like, if I don't have the correct accent with it, it was like there it was getting nowhere. And I was like (laughs) so frustrated. So that was probably the biggest surprise i guess was like because because in spanish they'll they'll understand you if as long as you're trying they can like piece it together in america like at least for me i try to piece together what other people are saying i can help them out but they're they're like mm, no nope. foreigner no <laughs> speak to me exactly how it's supposed to be or you're screwed and i was like Oh my god! Can't like give me a break. You can tell I'm at least trying. I'm not over there. Yeah. Like, hey, do you speak English? Oh, you don't speak English. Can you get somebody that speaks English? Like, yeah. I was like, come on, just give me a break. So yeah.
1: What about? Was there anything that you like took away that you enjoyed and you? It was so new to you.
2: Probably learning the language. <laughs> oh, cool. Like, yeah. it, it's a given. It's a give and take. I, I loved experiencing new food even though some of the food i was like mm, i don't know about this
0: <laughs> example please
2: um snails i'm not gonna do that mm. escargot oh. yeah not, not didn't try it when
1: i was didn't try it when i was there either
2: nope um and the raw meat threw me off i thought i was ordering a steak no it's raw i was like <laughs> that when it first came out and like I went to a dinner by myself for the first time and I ordered it. And I was like looking around, like, am I getting punked? Like <laughs> I was like, there's no way that this is what I ordered. Like they they know I'm an American. They're just trying to fuck with me. Like this is not <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is not what I expected. So definitely the food, like I developed a taste for it, I would say. I still probably would not order beef tartar Mm-mm. okay probably not so gonna that do was that a,
1: that was a one and done
2: yeah but like the other foods just the flavors and the different spices and everything they were using was different and i i enjoyed that but also just learning the language i i still am attempting to learn i use duolingo <laughs> and so i'm still trying to learn to keep up with it i keep up with the people that I met. Also, that's another thing that I really enjoyed was the people of the club. They were so nice to me. And I still reach out to them every now and again, they still reach out to me. So I think the relationships that I had there also were probably some of my favorite parts.
1: Amazing. So reflecting on the journey thus far, what things would you say helped you to get to this moment? So I guess in other words, why did Malia Berkeley make it?
2: Oh, I would say because I'm stubborn as hell. <laughs> um, I had my family behind my back the whole time pushing me. Even when I didn't want to be pushed, they knew what I was capable of, and they kept reminding me of what I was capable of. And, yeah, I had great surroundings of people and teammates and coaches that, also pushed me to get there and knew what I, what I was capable of.
0: Good stubborn. Good stubborn. Yeah, exactly. Good stubborn. <laughs> and with that, let's jump into the Fast Feet round. A few quick fire questions. The first one, favorite player growing up?
2: Either Stevie G or Luka Modric.
1: Love that. Favorite moment in, in soccer?
2: Playing Wolfsburg at Wolfsburg for... Champions League, or the first time I got called into the first team ID camp?
0: Most difficult moment?
2: Either when I tore my ACL or when I found out I was brought to be a practice player.
1: <sighs> Best advice you ever received?
2: Uh, life is what you make it. And if it were easy, everybody would do it.
0: favorite place you've lived bordeaux favorite place you've traveled
2: um i would have to say spain yeah
0: what city in spain did you travel to uh
2: You put me on the spot and I forgot now. Uh, It's right, it's right (laughs) across (laughs) it's right across the border from France. It's like a little bay area. And it's absolutely beautiful.
0: It sounds lovely. I'm there. Best player you've ever played against. Oh
2: against. Oh, that's a tough one. I even thought about this too. And I just kept changing my answer. <laughs> oh, I would have to say. Katerina Macario.
0: Very cool.
1: What about with best player you ever played with?
2: Dabina. Absolutely. Dabina. Oh, yeah. Baller. Oh if yeah. You,
0: if you weren't a soccer player, what would you be?
2: <laughs> a stay at home dog mom. <laughs> <laughs> I hey, don't there's know. there's
0: there's work in that. There's
1: work in that.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. He takes up my whole time. I'd still be super active. So,
1: can always bring in other dogs to recruit other dogs. Yeah, create a team.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> Do you have a favorite book?
2: My favorite book probably was one of Mia Hamm's, uh autobiographies. When I first read it growing up that's what made me want to go play in college i didn't like growing up i didn't even know playing in college was a thing i thought it was just you go pro and Mm -hmm. so like after reading that i was like i want to go down that same path
0: any quote or mantra that you live by
2: if it were easy everyone would do it
0: love it works for both yeah amazing what an amazing discussion we
1: want to thank you so much for the time we really enjoyed that kind of hit all areas on your path thus far. And we can't wait to follow along with the second season with the courage. And we know uh, one day we'll we'll see you suited up in the U.S. Women's National Team colors for sure.
2: Hope so. Thank yes. you guys so much. This was awesome.
1: Special thanks to the Aristocrats podcast. This one is in sp- sponsored the, by them.
0: The elite soccer the podcast. Elite. Um,
1: no, they set it in motion. And I mean, just... What a story. Uh, There's so many things that like really captured me. I think the injuries is one. I think to be able to come back from something like that, to have that mindset, celebrating the little victories. There's a lot of things in that one portion that I thought translates so well. And you can take those things into everyday life. Of course, it's tough. Like you kind of pointed out, Sean, like that time when you're injured, just realizing how much you love the game and how much you want to get back. Can you help? transfer some of that into when you are healthy can you bring yourself back to those moments that were tough to make the moments now you know better than what they seem to be still excited to go to every training like it's you know the first time you're coming back off of injury of course it's very difficult to do that because you get stuck in the patterns of of how you're feeling and where you are but to just bring 1% of that 2% of that to celebrate the little victories like she did and the payoff for her I mean, was huge, came back in six months and had to relearn all those things, but, you know, came back next time she's winning a national championship, won three ACC championships while she was there. One of the most decorated players at Florida State, I believe. So all of those things adding up, the setback when she's in France, COVID for three months testing, that that bullshit, you know, a, a coach bringing her in to be a practice player. When she chose to go to Birdo, when she had opportunities in the NWSL, in the USA. I mean, all of these little, not little, all of these big setbacks in the moment, you know, getting through those and seeing that you can still be successful and having the proof, here it is. This is Malia's story, I think is an amazing thing that not just athletes, but I think anyone can take.
0: Yeah, I think everything that's happened to her thus far in her career, I think has just built a really strong foundation. I mean, she's had success. There has been success already, but... I think it is just a really strong foundation for her to build on. And and hopefully, soon we'll see her in the national team again.
1: Couldn't agree more. I mean, like those no's, that rejection, people telling her she was too small as a kid, proving them wrong. I mean, you have to think that that translated into proving the coaches wrong in France. You know, even when she had those thoughts like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, just go through the motions and training, we would all get that thought. And pushing that thought aside and, you know, taking advantage of the moment. She's in Europe. She's in France. What can she learn? What can she learn from the language and her teammates and even that coach? And, you know, not getting off to the best start, it seems, with the second coach. But then, you know, proving herself, proving to herself, proving to everyone that she was good enough, letting her play, do the talking, and then people come around. You know, a coach can only ignore you for so long if you're balling. It's, it's just what it is. No coach wants to lose. And, you know, they can be a bit stuck in their ways at times, or, you know, have that one thought and, you know, they're keen to it, but proving herself day in and day out and not letting those things affect her or let her go through the motions. I mean, I think is amazing.
0: Yes. And with that, continue the free support, plug and pass the pod at this point of this episode. There has been a release of merch that we no longer need to be secret about right
1: no we know I don't know how to talk about it yeah. because in we've future. recorded this before but it's this is afterwards so there's, we're just gonna leave
0: it at that then this is some like yeah. Twilight Zone
1: I mean maybe it's still there it's maybe it's tell. there
0: we'll see um maybe there was something sign up for the
1: newsletter it. for the next one if you missed it
2: I mean tough shit.
1: <laughs> yeah I mean it is what it is but the free support means the world and if you missed this merch there will be others if there's still some left make sure you get the best merch out there and yeah that's it for me so until next time keep moving forward keep learning and make your own path